And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. Well, I want to wish you all a Happy New Year. I am recording this podcast on January 1, 2017, uh, a year that I think will represent the most important year of, of education and hopefully motivation uh, in my experience uh, of over 50 years around the investing process. Uh, I'm very excited about some new things we're working on, but today I want to talk about what I know best, and that is the past. We all know that I cannot tell you what the market will do in 2017. I can't tell you what it will do for the next decade, for the next half century. I can't know that, but I know so much about the past that I think the future will be in some ways very similar. And in looking back at both 2016 and the 15 years ending 1231-2016, I think there are some important lessons that will, in fact, be similar in the future. That, of course, is the big unknown. And I want to talk about three things uh, in this podcast. I do want to talk about um, how the U.S. market did, as that's where most people have the majority of their investments. I also want to talk about small cap value, an asset class that I have talked endlessly about and written maybe three or four articles about in the last few years and uh, continue to wish to motivate young people to take a look at that asset class and see what it could mean to you over a lifetime. And I, I too, as an old guy, uh, have plenty of small cap value in my portfolio, and, uh, and I'll talk about that. So I want to talk about how the market did last year. Uh, I, I, oh, and by the way, I, I also want to talk about um, DFA versus Vanguard. Uh, I could spend two hours on a podcast about DFA versus Vanguard. I'm going to zero in uh, on a, a few specific uh, asset classes uh, at Vanguard and DFA and use that discussion as a way of comparing uh, those two organizations and why they are so very, very different and why they tend to produce different returns, sometimes better at Vanguard and oftentimes better at DFA. First, let's talk about 2016. And I think one of the best lessons from 2016 is that there is only so much we can know. And in fact, what we know or what we think we know uh, about the present, and of course, we make up things about the future, so often turn out to be absolutely the opposite of what happens. Most people believed, including probably Donald Trump, that Hillary Clinton was going to win the election for the presidency. And as we all know, that didn't work out for Hillary, and in fact, Trump becomes the president uh, in a few days, and uh, what was the belief if he were to to win that election? Because it was such a long shot in the minds of a lot of people. 
by the way, it was about a one out of three or one out of four chances that he was going to win. So in the whole scheme of probabilities, that actually is a, a, a fairly high probability of, of a person winning. Um, certainly people who, who know probabilities at the blackjack table or, or the uh, uh, other kinds of gambling or in whatever work you might be uh, an expert at, that uh, probabilities of something happening, if it's one out of four, that's a pretty good probability. Not a miracle if it happens, but it did happen. And what did we think that was going to lead to? Most people, according to the popular press, not only did they not believe that Trump was going to win, but also if he did win, it meant big trouble for the markets. And there was going to be lots of headlines about the crash if if Trump wins. And there was a momentary decline in the market of about, uh, I don't know, about 2% uh, overnight uh, after it was obvious that he had won. And uh, then the market recovers. And by the end of the year, there was about a 5% gain uh, from the election to the end of the year in the S&P 500. Certainly not what people talked about before he was elected. But... After he was elected and the market went up, we did what we always do. We know there's the bad news and the good news, and if the market goes up, we then look at it through the through the optics of the good news, not the bad news. And what were the optics of the good news? Well, wait a minute. The Republicans have total control of Congress, theoretically, huh? And the presidency, and, and the president wants a tax cut for corporations? Yes. And so does the Congress want a tax cut for corporations? And if that happens, and it's probably highly likely, that would suggest that even if corporations didn't grow at high rates of return, they would pay less taxes and the earnings would therefore go up. Now, we don't know if that's going to happen, but that's the belief it's going to happen. And so there would be a good case for bidding up the value of companies. Now, we don't know if they've bid them up too quickly or not. We'll find that out. But the bottom line is the case was then made as to why, if Trump gets elected, the market should have gone up as it did. Well, we always somehow seem to believe that we saw it, we understood it. It's exactly what we thought was going to happen, when in fact, if we went back and looked at our diary, we would probably find that was not what we had written down as what the market was going to do. And uh, it isn't just a matter of, by the way, looking at an almost 11, I'm sorry, almost 12% Uh, total return for the S&P 500 for the year. And remember, 5% of that came following the election. But we also know that we've been on a tear since March of 2009, and the market has gained almost, and I'm talking about the S&P 500, and I'm talking about a total return, including dividends, almost 300%. And this is a period of time that I know for a fact, having talked to many of you, 
that a lot of you have sat in cash during that period of time because there was a firm emotional belief that the market was in for more of that 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 pain that we suffered in 2007 through March of 2009. But in fact, it's been one of the biggest moves in stock market history, an average gain of 1.5% per month. Now, what's interesting is that from 1975 to 1999, that was approximately the compound rate of return for a buy and hold on the S&P 500 and even a better rate of return during that period of time for small cap value as the S&P compounded at over 17% a year and the small cap value at about 22% a year from 1975 to 1999. So we have been on a huge run Would it be unusual in 2017 if we took a rest? Is it possible even if if, if the Republicans uh, lower taxes and and create a huge infrastructure uh, program, uh, spending billions or 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 trillions, whatever it might be, does that mean the market then has to go up further? Well, we know that it went up almost 300% during a period when unemployment, yes, it came down, uh, and, and, um, uh, and earnings and, and growth was mediocre, but certainly better than the catastrophic events we had going on in 2008 and early 2009. So we don't know what 2017 will bring, but we do have some interesting lessons about the past year and about the past 15 years. Now let me talk about the U.S. market only. And I'm going to talk about the Vanguard results because of all the portfolios that I recommend, I suspect that the Vanguard portfolio has had uh, the uh, most people following that portfolio. And I'm looking at the mutual fund portfolio here, and what I see is last year, while the S&P 500 compounded at 11.9, large cap value, remember, we believe that large cap value is going to pay a premium over large cap blend, and blend is a combination of growth and value. Value is supposed to be focused on value only. Now, in one of my future podcasts, I'll talk about how little value some mutual funds have. But at this point, what I'm focused on is that in 2016, large cap value at at Vanguard was up 16.9% versus 11.9%. That's a huge difference. Huge, way more than we would expect looking at it historically, because I believe there's a one, one and a half, two percent, depends on how they build the asset class advantage to large cap value, not a five percent advantage as happened last year. But when I look at 15 years, the S&P 500 at Vanguard up a compound rate of return of 6.6 versus 7.1 
for large cap value at Vanguard. Now, these numbers are all out of Morningstar. Now, when we look uh, back at the last uh, uh, 50 years, we see that uh, according to by the numbers research, that the S&P 500 compounded at 10.2% a year. So one, we did better than the average. Two, the value premium was larger than normal. But over the last 15 years, they both struggled producing much lower returns than they had in the previous 15 or the previous 50. And in the case of small cap blend, it was a huge year for small cap, whether you were in blend or value. By the way, i got to make sure I talk about growth because things weren't so pretty in the growth arena in then 2016. But the small cap blend was up 25.7% and the compound rate of return over the 15 years up 10.1%. Well, now this is interesting because for the year... The difference between 25.7 and 11.9, I mean, that's that's a giant premium for small cap. But over the 15 years, 10.1 versus 6.6. So that was not so different. Now, normally, uh, there's about a 3% advantage to uh, small cap blend, and in fact, uh, it was a little more than a 3% advantage over the last 15 years. And small cap value? Well, small cap value, it is expected to be, do better historically uh, than, the, uh, uh, than, than small cap blend. And for 2016, it didn't. It was up 24.7, made 1% less. I don't think anybody's going to complain about that. And the 15-year compound rate of return at, uh, at Vanguard was 9.3. So that was not quite 3% better than the S&P 500, which historically, small cap value has produced about a 5% advantage. Now, this is interesting because small cap blend did better, as I just said, than small cap value. Not expected. Not expected for one year on average, if we looked at the average situation, and not expected over 15 But if we go to another family of funds that attempt to produce small cap blend and small cap value in a way that does the best that they know how to to make it return, uh, their small cap blend, and I'm talking about DFA now, DFA, their small cap blend compounded at 9.7 and small cap value at 10.7. So in fact... The uh, small cap value at DFA produced about a 4%, little better than 4% uh, premium a year over 15 years. And during a period of time that, that returns were very mediocre, to be able to have something in your portfolio that helped get you closer to your what your expectations were, that that would be important. Now... International. 
Not a year, a good year for international. In fact, the Vanguard Developed Markets Portfolio or Fund compounded at 2.5. Over 15 years, 5.6. The Value Vanguard Value uh, Index at 4.5. So it added about 2% to the developed more of a blend that got the 2.5. And for 15 years, it made 6% a year. So the U.S. over the last 15 years produced better returns. Uh, well, uh, I, I, I should say that it, it does until you include the 15-year for internationals because it turns out that if we look at the returns of a total portfolio, big, small, value growth, both in the U.S. and international, that that compound rate of return over 15 years was about 9.2%. Uh, at DFA, and uh, uh, a little less, uh, 6.9% at uh, at Vanguard. So the internationals actually, over the 15-year period, uh, uh, produced a a better rate of return um, than over the last year. So they look about the same once you look out over a 15-year period. And by the way, I'm looking here at DFA numbers, 9.2 for the U.S. and 9.2 uh, for the internationals over that 15-year period. So what else did we learn last year? Well, we did learn that growth, which we believe makes less than value because value is more risky, uh, is one reason. And sometimes growth gets ahead of itself and is overpriced um, in, in many. In, in fact, sometimes when you have major market declines, the growth go down more than the value because value is already out of favor at the time that that big market decline comes. But for last year, if we look at the large cap growth, uh, at, uh, at at Vanguard, uh, it made 6% uh, uh, versus the 11.9 for the blend, the S&P 500. And over the 15 years, the growth made 6.3 uh, versus the uh, 6.6 for the S&P 500. When we look at small cap growth last year, uh, and this is a Vanguard fund, up 10.6 for the year. Well, you look at small cap value up 24.7 or small cap blend up 25.7. Those were huge premiums for value over growth. And uh, over the longer period of time, the growth index, uh, small cap growth compounded at 9.1 versus 10.1 and 9.3 for the blend and the value at Vanguard. So uh, pretty good evidence, at least looking backwards, uh, that value uh, is uh, over many periods more productive than growth. I would also note last year that there was big money to be made in gold, the Vanguard precious metals and mining fund up 50%. Uh, By the way, uh, that's one of the uh, smaller returns in that asset class. 
um, compared to other mutual funds that uh, represented the precious metals. But over the long period of time, uh, the 15 years, the compound rate of return of that fund has been 6.9%, uh, which is uh, certainly way less uh, than the uh, returns of the other asset classes that I want you to have in your portfolio. I have not ever been a fan of gold in your portfolio on a buy and hold basis because, yes, the return can be amazing at times, but you expose yourself to about twice the volatility as the S&P 500 and the other asset classes uh, that uh, I recommend with returns that are far, far lower long term. So let me also talk um, in looking backward over the, the, uh, last, uh, the last year, um, I want to talk about value. Uh, I wrote several articles, and if you haven't read them, I hope you will. I've, uh, I've written several articles about value investing, small cap value, and uh, in one article we talked about um, a combination of large and small, U.S. and international, even with a slice of value uh, for, in the emerging markets uh, arena. And um, uh, I, I thought it might be of some interest uh, uh, to see how those uh, portfolios did uh, last year. At uh, Vanguard, the uh, U.S. value portfolio um, up 20.8. By the way, that's a portfolio of large and small U.S. value. Uh, the DFA, where I happen to have my value portfolio, uh, an all-U.S. portfolio, up uh, 23.7. Uh, if we look at uh, the Vanguard all-value portfolio, uh, up 15.4, and uh, that would be a combination of emerging markets. Uh, and by the way, it was a good year for Vanguard in emerging markets last year, up 11.7. Uh, I might mention that the uh, the the value uh, portfolio with DFA last year was up uh, 19.8%. Great year for value in the emerging markets. So um, we'll talk a little more about the, the difference between DFA and uh, and Vanguard in just uh, a second. I just realized I did not give you the all value portfolio return. Uh, for DFA, that's the one that I'm using, uh, up 16.7 for about a 1.3% uh, higher return uh, than with Vanguard. And before I go on and talk about DFA versus Vanguard's, focusing especially on small cap value differences, uh, I want to talk about, um, answer a question I've had many times about mid cap and, and why I focus on small cap and large cap and, and, and don't give any recommendations in the mid-cap arena. Uh, first of all, if one is going to rebalance their portfolio, as we saw in 2016, there was a huge difference between large cap and small cap returns. 
And to the extent that we think that rebalancing is going to give us potentially some long-term advantage as the returns of large and small uh, go back and forth in terms of who's ahead and who's behind, uh, what we do know is that a rebalancing of the portfolio is going to be a significant thing. If you use mid-cap, then you're going to have a return that's likely to be in between those two, and rebalancing is not not going to likely have the same impact. Now, I, I think it's interesting to note that Vanguard has does not have a mid-cap value index. They have a mid-cap blend uh, index. And in uh, 2016, that mid-cap was up 11.2. And then for a 15% 15-year compound rate of return of 9.2. Now, you compare that to the small-cap value last year, up 247 and a 15-year compound rate of return of 9.3, you can can see there's at least historically an advantage to small cap uh, over mid cap. Uh, I think it's also interesting to note that Vanguard has a mid cap growth portfolio, but that's actively managed. And this shows you the great risk in having an actively managed portfolio because you would have made 11.2 in the index fund, but the return for this growth mid-cap growth fund that's actively managed was 0.4, almost an 11% difference. And that had quite an impact on the 15-year track record, 7.2 for their mid-cap growth actively managed, and 9.2 for their blend index actively managed. So that can be a combination of more growth, pulling the return down, and the active management. Both, and by the way, uh, also with a higher expense ratio. So there's uh, some comments about mid-cap. And if this doesn't make it clear enough, send me an email and I'll address it again. But now let me talk about DFA versus Vanguard. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll finish with a few comments about uh, small cap value uh, with e- using ETFs uh, last year's return. So DFA and Vanguard, both trying to be passively managed, but but having very different ways to passively manage. Vanguard takes an, an actual index approach. So as the index changes, then they change. As opposed to DFA does not, in fact, try to follow an exact index uh, exposure because to be buying and selling at the same time as other people are buying and selling to make what they call the reconstitution of the index when the committee recommends changes to the index. They don't want to get caught in that rush to get in or the rush to get out because that, at least theoretically, is going to cost investors some of the return. Uh, Plus, 
a DFA in their small cap value uh, fund has um, 856 companies versus DFA with a 1,107. Size of companies inside the portfolio at Vanguard, 3.2 billion. At DFA, 1.4 billion. Price to book, and remember that the lower that number is, the more deeply discounted the value is. The price to book at Vanguard is 1.72 versus 1.12 at DFA. So DFA, more deeply discounted value, smaller companies by half, uh, about uh, 50% more companies in the portfolio, and turnover at DFA of 9% versus turnover of 16% at, uh, uh, at, at Vanguard. By the way, at Vanguard, depending on whether you have more than or less than $10,000 to invest, the expenses of Vanguard, 0.2 down to 0.08 versus 0.52 at DFA. Now, to be fair to DFA, uh, they do a lot more work to manage their portfolio because it is not managed to uh, uh, to the actual index. So it is a far more complex uh, a process. Uh, obviously, there's still a buy and hold. They're still passive. Uh, but the, the difference, I think, over a long period of time would likely be significant. Now, I mentioned that the small cap value uh, portfolio uh, at uh, at Vanguard made 24.7% last year versus at DFA, 28.3%. And for the 15 years ending December of 2016, the compound rate of return at uh, Vanguard was 9.3 and at DFA, uh, 10.7. All of the indicators that we've learned from the academics uh, would, would tend, I mean, would, would, would have us believe that DFA should continue to make a higher rate of return, more value, smaller size company, and the more diversification, of course, theoretically reduces uh, our exposure to the risk of any one company uh, having a great uh, impact uh, on the uh, on the portfolio. So uh, I use DFA. It seems to me that to the extent that you want to understand DFA and Vanguard, you would want to do this kind of analysis with each one of their funds. In some cases, by the way, uh, over the 15 years, uh, DFA does not add any value. In fact, it's even possible that they would make less. But let me just very quickly run you down and compare them, the main ones here, one by one. The S&P 500 exactly the same, 6.6% over 15 years. The large cap value over 15 years, 7.1. For Vanguard, 8.5. For DFA. The uh, small cap blend, uh, 10.1 at Vanguard, 9.7 at DFA. So there's an advantage Vanguard. 
the small cap value at Vanguard, 9.3 versus 10.7 for DFA. The REIT, 8.5, I'm sorry, 10.8 for uh, Vanguard and 10.6 for DFA. Another plus for Vanguard. Then when we look at the international markets, the large blend, 5.6 at Vanguard, 5.4 at DFA. Large cap value, 6 at Vanguard, 7.2 at DFA. Small cap uh, blend over 15 years at Vanguard, 9.2. Uh, 10.6 at DFA. They have no small cap value internationally at Vanguard, but the 15-year return of the DFA fund, 11.8. Again, we would expect the small cap value internationally to do better than the small cap blend, and it added about 1.2% a year. Now, in emerging markets, this becomes a little trickier. The uh, emerging markets at... uh, uh, at uh, Vanguard, 9.2%, but DFA actually has three different uh, funds uh, to represent the large, the uh, emerging markets. One is a large cap, and it compounded at 9.8. Another is a small cap, it compounded at 12.9, and uh, the other is a uh, value, and it compounded at 12. So uh, most people use what is a, uh, a core fund at DFA that includes all three of those, and its compound rate of return was uh, uh, 11.1. So it, it did better significantly uh, than the, uh, the Vanguard uh, uh, Emerging Market Fund. Of course, I can't know that... DFA will make higher returns than than the Vanguard small cap value fund. But I do know this, that since they own different companies uh, and different numbers of companies and different percentages in each of these companies, that the total return is almost guaranteed to be different. And it may be that larger companies will do better than small in the future. It may be that more growth-oriented will do better than value in the future. But from what we know about the past, it has been, of course, just the opposite. The small has produced better than large and value better than growth. I want to focus on for one second before I close here. I'm going to focus on the small cap value uh, index ETFs that I recommended at Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, and TD Ameritrade. Uh, And it's interesting to look at uh, the year 2016 because in every case, uh, they produced better rates of return uh, than, uh, uh, than the mutual funds. Uh, for 2016, uh, the Vanguard ETF was up 30.1, Fidelity's up 31.3, Schwab's up 31.2, and TD Ameritrade's up uh, 32. 
Now, that follows on the heels of having had losing uh, returns the previous year from 6.2% to 7.7%. There's no guaranteed way to make money every year when you take this kind of risk. But for those of you who are uh, using small cap value and very likely uh, ETFs inside of the the, the program for the newly born child where you put away either 365 a year or for 21 years or 3,000 once, uh, you all had a very, very good year, I suspect, uh, because I had recommended that small cap value was an ac- asset class that uh, should be used for that program. So as I, as I close here, let me just... Uh, Uh, share with you that in the coming weeks, uh, I will be recommending some brand new portfolios, all value U.S., all value globally, uh, as well as some new strategies for, for conservative to aggressive investors to maybe make the whole process of investing in ETFs just one step easier and efficient than it's ever been before. I'm very excited to share this with you and stay tuned for the coming podcasts and the newsletters. And if you're not a subscriber to our free newsletter comes out every two weeks, I hope you'll go to paulmerriman.com and, and sign up. And lastly, um, I put some energy into improving the free uh, uh, the, the, the free video, the two and a half hour video, I've made it possible now that you can uh, watch the screen with the PowerPoint outline right there next to me speaking, or better yet, for people who have small screens, smartphones and whatnot, that they would use uh, a uh, audio along audio only along with the outline so that you don't have to waste space with my face. So I, uh, I look forward to uh, hearing back from those of you who are uh, who, who watch that because we've had huge, wonderful response. Uh, really, almost no complaints uh, other than people wanted me to add the outline to make it both me and the outline at the same time. We've done that. Uh, we have one more step in the coming months to do, and that is to go in and circle the numbers I'm referring to on the outline when I talk about them so that you immediately are able to find what I'm trying to get you to focus on. Happy New Year to you. I hope my work is helpful this year and as long as I'm around uh, to, in helping you be a more productive investor with greater peace of mind and hopefully less risk. Thank you for listening. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.